I wanted to uh, take a, a few minutes this morning and uh, just talk about uh, kind of what's been going on in our country. I feel like uh, as a pastor, uh, these are some of the topics and issues that we need to talk about, even though they are difficult. Um, I think about Dallas and, and all that they're going through right now. Dallas holds a uh, special place in the hearts of my wife and I. Uh, we, uh, uh, two weeks before we got married, oh, actually two weeks after we got married, we moved to Dallas. We lived there for four years, and I was a youth pastor in the, in the, the city of Dallas, where our church was at, and, and we lived uh, 20 minutes outside of Dallas in Cedar Hill. Um, I have friends that were uh, black. I have friends that were white, friends that were Hispanic, I, people I met all over the world. Uh, I know we would have uh, neighborhood block parties, uh, and, and uh, man, we'd have uh, anywhere from 80 to 100 people in our, in our neighborhood, and people of all, of all color, of all races come. I have friends who are Dallas police officers who uh, put their lives on the line. Uh, every single day they go to work, they, they love the community, uh, they serve and protect the community, and um, you know, I can't understand the pressures uh, that the police go through every single day. I am not, uh, I don't understand what people of color go through on a daily basis. Uh, you know, my heart is heavy with the uh, division and hatred that I see. Um, I was watching, we were actually coming back, and I was in Virginia. Uh, we were staying the night in Virginia in a hotel, and everyone had gone to bed, and, and I, I was seeing some of the stuff that was going on, and I was up till one in the morning, and uh, just kind of felt helpless. You, you kind of feel helpless this past week? About, like, what can I do when you see so much going on? Um, we can't expect perfect peace on earth because we live in a fallen world. Um, I think about like, you know, God, what can I do? What can I do? I just, I just feel like, like what's just a small part that I can do? You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to choose to love. Um. I'm going to continue to be an example to four little ones that look up to me. That they're going to look at the example I set to love people that look different than our family does. That's what I'm going to continue to do. You know, the bridge is made up of, of different races. And we come together every Thursday and every Sunday as one. And then we go out from this building and we go into our workplaces when we go into our community as one. Love wins because Jesus conquered sin and death. So let's keep on doing our part. 
our small part has more significance than we can imagine. So this is what I want us to do. I want want us to stand up, and I want us to join hands. So come together, and if this section can kind of move on over, let's join hands. As a symbol of unity, that even though our country may be divided, we will not be divided here as a church. We're going to come together, we're going to continue to love, and we're going to continue to make a difference in this community. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for the diversity that, that we see in this room. God, because this is what heaven's going to look like. God, I ask that you would forgive our country. Lord, I wasn't here, you know, in the, in the 50s and 60s. But I talked to people that were, and, and in some, some ways it feels like we're taking a step back in time. God, and we don't want to do that. We want to overcome. God, there's so much pain and so much hate that that's not from you. God, and if there's anything that we're doing to start fires or or to feed that, I pray that you would convict us. Because as believers and as Christians, that's not who you are. And that's not who we're going to be. God, I I ask that you would educate us, Lord. God, we're so quick to say things and we're so quick to post things on Facebook without thinking through what we're saying and, 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 and how those affect other people. God, be with our children. Be with our children, Lord. I pray that you would protect them, that you would protect their hearts and their minds. God, give us wisdom as parents on what to say to them, on the the appropriate conversations to have. But more importantly, I pray that our kids would see parents, would see us as parents, to love in a radical way. And they would want to know, why do my parents... Why do my parents love the way they do? And I pray that they would realize that it's you that lives inside of us. God, I pray that we would take a stand and we would be bold. Lord, I know, I know what the Bible says, that that it's going to get worse. And it's just your coming is sooner. Lord, but we still play a part. We still play a part and we still play a significant part. God, I pray for the city of Goldsboro. Lord, we see the violence going on. Many of us don't live in the areas where there's violence happening. God, I pray for the families of, 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 of the people that have lost loved ones this past week. I pray for the families of, uh, of, of, of the black men that, that, that died. I pray for the families of, of the Hispanic Uh, man that died, I pray for the families of the police officers that died and and, and children, Lord, that that are no longer to see their dad coming home. God, we love you and we need your love to flow through us. 
You have won the victory, and we are victorious in you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for what this church stands for. And I thank you, God, that, that we're not going to give up. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to thank you. Uh, I just want to thank the bridge for who we are. We are shining light in this community. And uh, God gives me a little bit of glimpse of heaven when I look out. So we are starting a new series, uh, Summertime Blues, uh, talking about discouragement. Uh, if you are on social media... Um, if you just want to hashtag Summertime Blues, uh, if you want notes uh, for this message, pray that you would send an email uh, to uh, info at bridgechurch.cc and we'll get you those notes. Uh, maybe you have the Summertime Blues because it's halfway through 2016 and you think about those unfulfilled New Year's resolutions. Uh, you look at social media and see all these posts of families taking incredible vacations, some even overseas, and the only place you've been this summer is Dudley. Okay. <laughs> now, I've never been to Dudley, and I'm sure it's a beautiful town. I just, I just use that as an example. Uh, your, friends, uh, you know, you, your friends head to the beach every weekend, and it looks so relaxing. You know, the pictures? And then you take the kids... To the beach, you have to make three potty stops for a two-hour trip. You have to lather everyone up in sunscreen. You unload the car and feel like a rented mule carrying everything across the hot sand. You then realize why you only go to the beach about once a year. You have the summertime blues because maybe your student realized that you only have 49 days left until school starts. 37 if you're in college for a state university. Don't worry, students. You're not the only ones that feel the summertime blues of school starting soon. Uh, your teachers and professors feel that as well with you. Seriously, though, maybe you have the summertime blues because you continue to face health issues. Your finances are in shambles. You live by yourself and just feel lonely. Or maybe you're married and have a family yet you still feel lonely. Depression and anxiety seem to be controlling your life. When everything seems to be against you, how do you keep moving forward? How do you keep your chin up, keep a positive outlook on life? How do you persist and persevere? I have to constantly remind myself that life is a marathon, not a 50-yard dash. Here at the bridge, we're not con too concerned about where you've been or what you've done in your past. Our biggest concern is about helping you to finish well. Helping you to finish well. What's done is done. What matters most is the direction of your life from this point on. One of the marks of spiritual and emotional maturity is you're not only a good starter but also a good finisher. Along the journey of life, too many people just fade out 
they fall to the wayside and leave a life of unfinished projects, ideas, and dreams. Think about your life right now, no matter how old you are. I'm 38. But in 20 years from now, are you going to look back on your life and have regrets? Because things that, that you wanted to do, maybe a difference you wanted to make, and you just put it off, or maybe you just gave up. Making a commitment is the easy part. It's always easier to get in than to get out. It's easier to get into a marriage than to get out. It's easier to get into debt than to get out of debt. To get into a relationship than get out of a relationship. It's easier to fill your schedule than fulfill your schedule. It's easier to add weight than to lose weight. Why is it that most people don't finish what they start? One of the biggest reasons is discouragement. Discouragement is universal and contagious. If you are not intentional in how you respond to discouragement, it will devour and waste your life. And you'll end up surrendering to it and just give up altogether. Today, I want us to look at a few reasons why we get discouraged. You may not be particularly discouraged right now, but at some point you will be. And you're going to need this message. Let's go to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah for our lesson. Nehemiah provides us with many godly changing principles. Let me give you a little background on Nehemiah. So the entire nation of Israel was taken captive by the Babylonians, which is the modern-day Iraq. This book records the reconstruction of the walls of Jerusalem, Judah's capital city. Together, Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra led the political restoration and spiritual revival of the Jews. Nehemiah's life provides a powerful study on leadership and how he, how he overcame opposition from outsiders, as well as internal strife among the Jews. He applied his organizational skills by using one half the people for construction, while the other half kept watch for their enemy. We chose Nehemiah as an example in this series because he demonstrates to us a persistent determination to complete his goals in spite of much external and internal resistance. And the accomplishment of his God-given goals resulted in Jews being encouraged, restored, and optimistic about the future. Do you need that right now? Do you need encouragement? Do you need restoration in your life or in your marriage or your family? Do you want to be optimistic about the future instead of always being pessimistic? You know, I, I, I um, for some reason... You know, in my 20s, I, I became real pessimistic, and, and I just kind of felt like, well, that's just the way I am. That's the way that God created me. Uh, but I realized that, you know what, I don't have to be that way. And, uh, you know, people don't really like being around pessimistic people. They want to be around people that, that are encouragement. So when the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem began, it all started great. Everybody was enthusiastic, and their heart was into it. Then in Nehemiah 4, 6, 
it says, so we built the wall and the whole wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind, a heart to work. So they were really into it when they were building. And this wall was gigantic. It was huge and expanded for, for uh, over a vast area. But about halfway through the project, discouragement set in, and the Jews thought, this project is too big. This is too hard. This is too difficult. Have you ever been excited about uh, to be a part of something, and then halfway through you're like, oh, snap. What I get myself into? Nehemiah's task became, how do I encourage a group of discouraged people who want to quit? How do I lead them to finish well what God has called them to do? And, or maybe you find yourself that, you know, you have a positive outlook and, and you're on fire for the Lord, but maybe uh, people in your family aren't or, or coworkers aren't, or maybe people that you even know in the church, and, and you have an opportunity to encourage them. How do you do that? How do you do that? There are millions of quitters in the world. People who never make it to the finish line because of discouragement. People often throw in the towel and give up halfway through a marriage. Halfway through a career. Halfway, halfway through a semester at school. I've been there, man. I, I, I remember um, I quit school for a little while. And I was like, man, this isn't for me. And then I uh, got a job that I didn't like. And I uh, quickly found myself back in school because I realized I needed an education if I wanted to get to, go, to get to where I wanted to go. People often throw in the towel and give up halfway through life. They often call this a midlife crisis. Maybe some of you are going through that right now. My guess is that during these dog days of summer, being halfway through the year, maybe some of you at least thought about giving up on a goal, a dream, a vision a relationship, a project, something. Let's look at some of the relevant factors that led to the discouragement of God's people in the book of Nehemiah, and let's consider how this applies to us today. So reason number one for discouragement is exhaustion. Exhaustion. In the book of Nehemiah, an entire nation was trying to remove the wreckage left behind from the Babylonian invasion and then rebuild the giant walls around the city of Jerusalem. <clears throat> About halfway through the project, they just ran out of steam. They were tired. And in Nehemiah 4.10, it says, Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. They're physically exhausted, weary, worn out, and worn down. I remember, uh, speaking of Dallas, when I was a youth pastor in Dallas, and it was after Katrina, and I took a group of about 35, 40 teenagers, and we went down to New Orleans. Not New Orleans, New Orleans, right? And I uh, went down to New Orleans, and... and uh, Man, if you, were, if you went down in that area after Katrina, it was overwhelming. And um, we had, uh, there was 
we were with an organization, and there were hundreds of kids from all across the country that uh, dedicated a week of their summer to help with the rebuilding. And there was so much to be done. I mean, I remember going through intersections, and there was no lights, no stop signs, and you're just like, all right, I guess I'm going to go. And, and, um, and I remember um, the, uh, the Home Depots were just, I mean, they were sold out of everything. And we, uh, my group that I was with was rebuilding a roof. And uh, it was, if you've been down to New Orleans in the summertime, it is hot, man. It's hot and humid, kind of like how this past week's been. And so we would be working on this, this hot roof, and we had to, you know, we had to, we had to tear, it, tear, uh, tear it up first, and, and, um, and then we put on the new, new shingles, and it was so exhausting. And uh, we really didn't know what we were doing. We had someone that was kind of giving us guidance, so um, hopefully the roof is still on there. I don't know. But uh, we would come back after a long day, and cold showers never felt so good. I mean, it couldn't get cold enough. You were so hot. And, uh, and we would do some fun stuff at night, but man, when your head hit the pillow, you were out. And then we would get up 6.30 in the morning, get breakfast, and, and, and go at it again. And uh, I remember just how exhausted we were, we were during that trip. The same thing happens to us. We just run out of energy. Uh, d- during life, and, and uh, no matter what you got going on. And when you're exhausted and you don't stop for rest, you're going to be discouraged. And you're going to lose your motivation for why you're doing what you're doing. Studies have shown that most Americans are sleep-deprived. Can I get an amen to that? Most Americans are in here this morning. If you're physically running on empty all the time, then you will soon be running on empty emotionally and spiritually. And your loved ones will also pay the price for you running on empty emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So the more that you keep on going the way you're going, you're not only impacting yourself, you're impacting those that you care about the most. Write this down. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just close your eyes and get some sleep. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to get rest. This is one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. It's taking a Sabbath. Rest. I think resting is one of the commands we Christians break more than any other commandment. I really do. Not resting is just as sinful as the other commandments. Not resting is just as sinful as adultery. Not resting is just as sinful as stealing. Not resting is just as sinful as lying. Now, I don't know what your upbringing was. I don't know how your parents and grandparents were. Um, you know, I had some hard-working parents and hard-working grandparents. 
And, um, you know, the older generation, man, they, I mean, they worked. They worked, uh, which is not a bad thing. And I feel like, you know, we can learn from that. But also, I look at the older generation and how they found a lot of meaning in their work. And, and they, almost, they took it to an extreme. Uh, and so I feel like that's, that's a negative as well that we have to be careful of. So do you find your meaning in working? Do you find your meaning and purpose in what you do and in, in what your job is? Do you find yourself, when you come home from work, still thinking about work? Uh, you know, as a pastor, I have to be really careful. Um, you know, when I started 15 years ago in ministry, uh, people didn't have as much access to me. But now, with cell phones and text message and email and Facebook, people have access to you all the time. And, and so I'm really intentional about, um, you know, setting my phone aside when I'm with my family and, and not checking uh, social media. It's amazing, you know, back in the day, people used to tell you and call you up, letting you know when they had a pastoral care need or when they had surgery. Now they just post that on Facebook and expect you to see it. And if you don't see it, then they get mad at you. Hey, how come, you know, you didn't meet, you didn't meet a need? Well, I didn't know about it. Uh, there's a thing called voicemail, if you can't get me. There is only one Jesus, and you're not him. And you, you need to stop trying to be Jesus to everybody. You need to try, try, try to stop being everyone's savior. You need to try, stop trying to be everyone's one and only hope, because that's not your role. Vince Lombardi, the great Green Bay Packers coach, said, Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. When you're physically worn out, you're much more fearful. Problems are magnified in your mind. Have you ever noticed how much better things look after a good night's sleep? You're thinking, I just can't handle it. The bills are too high. There's not enough time to get everything done. I need to get done. There's no solution for my situation. But the next morning... After a good night rest, you realize it's not as bad as you made it seem, and you will be able to overcome it. God loves, loves, loves us enough to give life in 24-hour increments, not all at once. That's why he says in Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow. You've got enough worries just for today. And, man, there's so many uh, days that I actually recite um, the, the, the daily bread uh, prayer and, and just asking God to give me my daily bread for today. Um, you know, Jesus taught us how to pray, and, and I have to do that all the time. Get the rest you need and take life one day at a time. Good farmers know if they rotate their crops and allow the land to rest, then they actually get a better harvest, and the land is far more productive. Around 1893, Frederick Taylor did the very first scientific study on the management of efficiency and effectiveness. He carried out his research in a steel mill 
and proved that workers who take breaks throughout the day were far more productive than people who simply work straight through. The reason we have coffee breaks today is because of Frederick Taylor. He proved that rest means profit in the business world. You know, Frederick Taylor was still around today. I feel like any time that he went to Starbucks, he should get that for free. We make ourselves vulnerable to the enemy when we do not rest. In Deuteronomy 25, 18, it says, They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary, and they struck down those who were straggling behind. God remembered, God reminded the Jews that the enemy was successful because they attacked you at your most vulnerable point when you were tired, fatigued, and run down. Does this sound familiar? When you are tired, fatigued, and run down, you are vulnerable to the enemy. And fatigue exposes us all to the kind of attacks that you would not normally be vulnerable to. For instance, when your body gets run down, you're more susceptible to catching some type of virus or infection. God says we need to remember that when we're exhausted, that's when the en enemy attacks physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. One of the reasons why you and your spouse may be he butting heads constantly lately is because you're not getting enough rest. Get off of Netflix and social media at night and get to bed at a decent time. And I bet you'd be surprised how well you treat one another. My kids experienced this firsthand, how the enemy attacked their daddy in the middle of a 12-hour car ride on the way home from a tiring week. I felt like I was in one of the Snickers commercials. Exhausted plus hangry equal a strong potential to sin. That's hangry. Hungry and angry, for those of you who know. So number one, exhaustion. Reason number two for discouragement is overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Feeling overwhelmed leads to short fuses. When you feel overwhelmed, you are far more easily aggravated and frustrated, and this moves you quickly to discouragement. Feeling overwhelmed comes from a sense that there are too many demands on you, nothing is working out right, and you're helpless to do anything about it. Listen, not only is one of the most spiritual things you can do is get rest, but also one of the most spiritual things you can do is to say no to even good things. Some of you cannot say no. Some of you can't say no. And you're feeling the effects of that. And you're saying, well, I just don't want to disappoint someone. I just don't like disappointing. Listen, if you are not saying no to other people because you don't want to disappoint them, I guarantee you, you're disappointing your family. Because that's taking time away from them. You can imagine 
when they started the project of reconstruction, they had to clear out all the trash and rubble that was left over from the invasion. And Nehemiah 4.10 says, There was so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine uh, someone coming into your house and just destroying everything? Uh, some of you, unfortunately, have had people break into your house. And, and when, you, when, you, when you walk in, you're just like, I don't even know where to begin. There is, everything is damaged, and there's so much trash and rubble, and, and this is my home, where do I even start? And it's, and it's overwhelming. When you're trying to build your marriage, your family, your relationships, your business, there's going to be junk, trash, debris, rubble you have to get through and you have to deal with. You have to stop building and do some cleaning. Do you need to do some cleaning in your life right now? This is what happened here in the book of Nehemiah. The people get discouraged by all the piles of stone, wood, trash. Here is some truth about messes. One, messes are a part of life. You can't build anything, including your life, without some junk piling up over time. Garbage always accumulates. Messes are a part of life, and you cannot avoid it. Two, stop and do some spring cleaning. You might have to clean up some bad relationships in your life, your schedule, maybe some bad habits you've fallen into. There are always going to be something weighing you down and keeping you from moving forward. You have to get it cleaned up before you can move forward. Number three, cons consistently evaluate and act. You know, it's one thing to evaluate and recognize what the junk is in your life that you need to clean up, but then you have to act upon it. If you don't, the junk will overtake you. Have you ever cleaned out your garage, then go back a month later and say, what happened? All of a sudden, it's junky again. Listen, we had a garage sale about a month and a half ago and got rid of a lot of junk. Month and a half later, it's like, man, we need to have another one. Where'd all this stuff come from? I mean, I think all, the to all of our toys have babies. <laughs> we need to get them spayed and neutered. <laughs> so let me ask you, what is the rubble in your life? Is anything... It's anything that keeps you from doing what God wants you to do. Being what God wants you to be. It's the stuff you keep tripping and stumbling over time and time again. So we talked about exhaustion, being overwhelmed. Reason number three for discouragement is disappointment. In Nehemiah, the Jews thought their plan was going to go a certain way. They thought they'd finish the project in a certain number of days. But things didn't work out the way they planned, and disappointment set in. In Nehemiah 4.10, it says, that We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Another version says, We will never be able to finish it. So they had this dream of, of, of finishing the wall, and all of a sudden they're just like, We can't do it. We can't do it. 
They felt like failures and disappointment set in because their building project didn't happen as quickly and easily as they thought it would. Listen to me on this. Just because things aren't following your timetable right now doesn't mean that God's still not in the midst of it. Some of you have had a goal, a vision, a dream, whatever it was, or maybe it was for this year, and, and you, you, you were wanting it to see fulfilled at this time, by this time, by this date. And it hasn't happened, so you want to quit. Listen, nothing in life worth having comes easy. So whatever that is in your life, how bad do you want it? And what are you willing to do to see that accomplished? Man, there's things in my life that I want. And and goals and dreams for myself and for my family. But you know what? You're going to have to sacrifice to get there. You're going to have to work hard. And when you're halfway through and you want to quit, are you just going to go back to the way it was? Or can you say, no, I know that God has put this on my heart. This is where I feel him leading, and I'm not going to give up. Even though the time has passed when you thought it was going to happen. Do you know that your time is not always God's time? God often comes fourth quarter, 10 seconds to go, third and 15. He shows up at, at, at oftentimes at the last minutes because a lot of times at the last minute is when we really learn to trust him, right? How do people usually handle disappointment? One in two ways. About half, half, half the people blame and get angry with others. Right? We're, like, we're, we're very easy to blame others for what's not happening in our lives. Or the rest of us blame or get angry with ourselves. And we're just disappointed in ourselves. And then we, we, don't, move, we don't move forward. And we just look at us and say, man, you're a failure. You're a failure, right? So, so we, either, we either blame others or we blame ourselves. The problem with both of these reactions is that we can easily end up being discouraged. We need to accept that disappointment is a fact of life for everyone. Let me give you a humorous quote. If at first you don't succeed, welcome to the human race. It's part of life, man. It really is. Joyful people understand the disappointment. Disappointments are only temporary setbacks. They don't let it control their lives. Are you letting your disappointments in life control you? When you have a disappointment in life, remember, everyone deals with them. You got to bring it to God daily and let him help you work through it. Exhaustion, being overwhelmed, 
Disappointment all lead to discouragement. And our last reason for discouragement is fear. Fear. When the Jews went back to rebuild this wall, they encountered people who were against them. And they had enemies. And there are few of the tactics, here are the few attacks, few of the tactics the enemy used against them. First of all, the enemy criticized them. The enemy criticized them. And Nehemiah says, what are these miserable Jews doing? Do they think they can get everything back to normal overnight? Make building stones out of make-believe? How many times have you given up on an idea because you were afraid people would criticize you? Especially your family and friends. How many times have you given up because you were fearful of the criticism. The fear of being criticized has kept more good things from happening in this world than you can imagine. Number two, the enemy mocked them. The enemy mocked them. Nehemiah 4.3 says, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break down their stone, he would break their stone wall down. So basically saying, yeah, they can rebuild it, but it's not going to last. They ridiculed them for even trying to rebuild. What about you? Are you trying to rebuild your life with the Lord's help? And you got people from your past who just ridicule you? Mock you? Nobody likes to be mocked or belittled, so... Just the fear of ridicule can easily and quickly lead to discouragement. And number three, the enemy threatened them. Nehemiah 4.11 says, Our enemies were saying, Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. Now, you've got to admit, that's a pretty good cause for fear. That leads to discouragement. Someone might kill you today. If you continue, you might be killed. But for most of us, that's not the case. So are you letting the enemy criticize you, mock you, and threaten you? And if you are, what's that Bob Newhart? He says, stop it. Stop it. You've, you've won the victory if you are a child of Christ. If you are a child of the risen Lord, you can live a victorious life. Stop living a defeated life. You don't have to be run by discouragement. As we go, as we've gone through the three, these reasons for being discouraged, we're not saying that you don't have a legitimate reason for being discouraged. I'm not saying that at all. But you have to ask yourself, am I going to allow the discouragement I'm facing to paralyze me? Am I going to let it continue to paralyze my life and continue to let it paralyze my family? Or am I going to trust the one who can help me defeat it? And that's Jesus. That's Jesus. He can help you defeat your discouragement. 
Next week, we'll take a deeper look into the potential devastating effects of discouragement. And uh, I tell you what, guys, I'm just so grateful that I get to be a part of a church and that I get to preach messages that are relevant. Because I know many of you feel this way right now. You're discouraged. And we, as your church family, we are here to help you overcome that. Because we serve a God that has overcome that. And we don't have to live like that anymore. Let me pray.